You know, when we were singing that song, See a Victory, I started laughing because I remembered, if you ever had kids that played sports, and, and I remember when Gentile was playing on baseball, and there was this team that always stacked their team, which always ticked me off, right? You know, he led the league and had the best team. I just don't know how that worked, but it somehow worked out that way. And yes, I'm still bitter after decades. But uh, when the team was beating, sometimes they would sing this chant. And I was thinking that we were singing victory. I believe that we're going to win. I believe that we will win. I believe that we will win. I believe that we will win. And I was picturing me being able to say that to our enemies, right? I believe that we will win. We're going to see a victory because of what Jesus has already done. Amen? Amen. How many heard that chant? Wow. I know Gentile hates it. That was for you, bro. That was for you. That was for you. Okay, good morning. Welcome to day 29 of the year 2023, the fifth Sunday of this brand new year, a year that really can be your best year ever. So how's it going on your, your values and goal sheets, right? The month's over, and statistics say that 80% have bailed out already. So if you haven't started, you're looking good, right? And... and I'm trying to get real serious about um, doing it this year. Uh, I picked up a great book, um, and, and I just started reading it called uh, Atomic Habits, um, which I think is a phenomenal book. And, and uh, it just, I just want to share a few things about your habits, you know. And uh, one, one thing that the guy is James Clear, he, he said that, you know, the reason why it's so hard to start new habits and so hard to get rid of old habits is because the payoff for old habits are right there, right? I mean, when you eat a chocolate donut, the payoff is immediate, right? It's good, it's sweet, it satisfies you. But when you work out for the first time, the payoff isn't there right away, right? And so it takes time to develop those. So, you know, don't get discouraged. And he also used this metaphor of, a, of an ice cube and and you're trying to get some water to freeze, and you keep cranking down the temperature, and you're, you know, you got it down to 50, down to 40, and you're like, you got it down to 38, and you're thinking, man, nothing's happening. But suddenly, you get the 32 degrees, and it what? It, it freezes. And, and sometimes, you have a habit, you know, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, and you're not seeing anything. You, you've worked out solidly for four weeks in a row. You're eating correctly, and yet the scale is still saying nasty things back to you when you step on it, just keep working, right? Just keep doing the right thing, and eventually there will be a payoff. Amen? And so I encourage you, we got those sheets out there. Um, again, I, I'm, this is mine right here. I'm putting together a binder to hold myself accountable. And, and, uh, and again, it's never too late, right, to start the new year. If you've already blown it, guess what? You still have a lot of days left in this new year. Amen? All right. Hey, I, I want to start off today by reading a passage from the book of Deuteronomy. Does anyone know what that word means? It means what? Good job, second law, all right? You're all thinking it, right? Uh, anybody know what section of the Bible that's in? Pentateuch. Pentateuch, which means the five books or the five scrolls, right? It, it, it's the first section of the Old Testament, right? How, how many, this is quiz time, right? Uh, shout out your answer. You know, how many books in the Old Testament? 39. Good job. How many books in the New Testament? 27. Good job. <laughs> how many books in the whole Bible? 66. All right. You can do math. Fantastic, right? And in the Old Testament, right, the first five books are the Pentateuch. The next 12 are the books of history, followed by 
wisdom or poetry, five. So it's five, 12, five. Five major prophets, 12 minor prophets, right? Okay. And, and, and the New Testament, you have how many gospels? Good job, four. Everybody's scared to answer. You know this. How many books of history? One. Okay. Uh, how many books of prophecy? One. And how many letters did Paul write? Thirteen. And, and the rest of the guys wrote what? Eight. Good job. All right. All right. Anyhow. All right. Just review. Right. It's kind of good to know that. Um, I tell you, um, that's one of the things that, that um, uh, Laurie's teaching the students at Breakfast Club. They're learning how the, the sections of the Bible, they're surveying the entire Bible, which is kind of important. Well, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is basically addressing the new generation. If you remember when they left Egypt, 40 years later after wandering the wilderness, like everybody who was over the age of 18 when they left Egypt, other than Joshua and Caleb, didn't make it in the promised land, right? And so now Moses is giving the second law to this new generation, reminding them also of, of how God had showed up in a big way throughout their wilderness wandering. And, and so it's basically, Deuteronomy is basically Moses' farewell address to his people. Like he loves these people, he's been through hardships with them. He knows, hey, I'm not going to be there anymore. I, I, I can't be with you, so there's some things that I really want you to know as you enter the promised land, the land that God promised to give you. And, and some of those things, or one of the things we find in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 1 through 4. It, it reads this. When you go to war against your enemies, and you see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them. Because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. When you're about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army and say, Hear Israel, today you're going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified by them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. Amen. Father God, we thank you for this time to be in your house. And God, I thank you that you're with us and that you go before us and that you fight for us. And God, every day when we wake up, God, we are in a battle with an enemy. And sometimes when we see his horses and chariots, we see this army greater than us, we are afraid. But God, help us to remember that you go before us. You fight against our enemies to give us the victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this morning we're going to conclude our deep dive into the greatest prayer ever prayed. A prayer that Jesus' followers have been praying around the globe for 2,000 years. A prayer that when rightly understood and sincerely prayed, rightly understood and sincerely prayed, has the power to change hearts, homes, churches, communities, countries, and the world. Listen, when I said that we're doing a deep dive, I'm not kidding. In fact, this is our 12th week unpacking the Lord's Prayer. And so in these 12 weeks, we've talked about a lot of stuff. And listen, every conversation we have on Sunday 
is available to watch on YouTube or on Facebook, is available to listen to on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Tuned In, and our website. You may need to do some review. Now, back in the olden days, right, like if you miss church and someone comes back and said, man, man, the pastor delivered a great message, and what was it about? Well, it was great. What was it about? Well, it's about God, you know, they can't, and you could do nothing. And then in the less olden days, you would say, hey, could you make me a cassette copy of that message that I can pick up next week that I can listen to, right? And they'd forget, or your cassette, it got stuck in your player in your car, and you're pulling it out. It's just a mess, right? Do you understand how blessed we are to have so much positive things available us to listen to? to review sermons, to listen to podcasts, to learn so many different things. And, and so uh, they're there for your review, okay? Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also are forgiving our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Brothers and sisters, our calls us into community, into relationships. You see, it's not just about me and mine. It's about us and ours. It's not just about your personal relationship with Jesus. It's about our corporate relationship with Jesus. We are part of a family, the family of God. Praying, Father, invites us into intimacy with the maker of heaven and earth. Yes, God is the sovereign king of the universe who breathes out stars, who holds oceans in his hands, stretches out the heaven like a canopy, but he's also our father. He's also our heavenly dad. Behold what manner the father, behold what love the father's lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Who art in heavens reminds us that God is great, God is near, and that there's more going on than just what we can see at the five-foot level. Hallowed be your name calls me, calls you, calls us to live lives that are different and distinct from the world around us. Lives that passionately pursue a personal, practical, progressive holiness, bringing honor and glory to God by the way we live out our lives. So how did you do this week? Hallowing God's name by the way you lived out your life by the things you did, by the attitudes you had, by the words that you spoke. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth that it is in heaven reminds us that we're part of a kingdom, that, that we are, are people who are called and empowered to show this world a different and better way to live. As we restore garden intimacy and image throughout this broken world, one life at a time, bringing hope to the hopeless, freedom to the captive, food to the hungry, drink to the thirsty, belonging to the lonely, purpose to the drifting, salvation to the lost. Give us this day our daily bread. Reminds us that our greatest need this day and every day is to depend on, someone say depend on, depend on and connect with, someone say connect with, See, your greatest need today, tomorrow, and all of this week is to depend on and connect with your Father who art in heavens and with Jesus, the bread of life. Amen? Amen. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Reminds us of the, the sheer power and beauty 
of God forgiving our sins and the absolute necessity that we do the same. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Reminds us that we are in a war and that we must daily fight the battle with temptation so that we do not fall into it and wind up doing evil things. Question, why is life so hard, so difficult? Why is it such a struggle? Why do our best efforts at getting our life together never seem to go unopposed? Because like the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 20, who are trying to enter their promised land, we have a powerful and unrelenting enemy who's doing everything that he can to prevent us from living the life that Jesus bought for us on a blood-stained cross. Get it? Good. Again, as John Eldritch writes in his book, Waking the Dead, by all means, God intends life for you. But right now, someone say right now, but right now, that life is opposed. It doesn't just roll in on a tray. There's a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. In other words, yes, the author offer is life, but you're going to have to fight for it because there's an enemy in your life with a different agenda. Question. Did you face any opposition this week from your enemy? Like, like, like did, you, did you fall into any temptation and found yourself doing things that you wish you didn't do or not doing things that you knew you should do? Yeah, and I know this is our third conversation about this. You know, Moses said Deuteronomy. I have third, third Deuteronomy, right? It's the third time, third Deuteronomy. I don't know if it's a word, right? Talking about this, but guys, the battle is real. Like, I mean, I, I do feel like those priests in Deuteronomy 20. Today, you're going into battle to face your enemy. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you're going into battle to face your enemy. So lean in. Because we're talking about God's battle plan that will get us the victory over temptation. Amen? And here's the deal. If you want to experience victory over temptation, and live the life you're created to live, you have to fight for it, and to fight the win, you have to know three things. Your enemy, your responsibilities, and your God. Have you ever been on an airplane, right? Have you ever watched the, the stewardess up front as they're trying to explain, like, what you do, right? You know, they're going to say, hey, your exit signs are here. And, you know, you, you know if the mask comes down, you do. They're, they're telling, hey, you know, your, your seat can be a flotation device. and under, They're giving all these directions. If, if you ever look around, how many people are paying attention? A lot or, or few? Very few. Now, now, what if you're not playing and you knew that an hour after landing, it's going to crash? You think people would listen? Like, hey, excuse me? <laughs> uh, where's that flotation device? You know, and, and the exit, could, where's that exit, right? I mean, we'd be asking questions, right? Because we know it's going to crash. But what I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we're in a battle, right? And you need to pay attention, even though, wah, 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 I heard this before. Pay attention, right? Because we're in a battle, all right? And, and 
don't know about you, but I like winning. And, and let's talk about how to win. Again, a lot of this is review, but Moses reviewed, so it's biblical. <laughs> and you forgot most of what I said last week, anyhow, let's be real. I always run riding home with my kids and, you know, especially when I had a long, here I have a short drive, right? And, but back in Georgia, I had a long drive and here I preach a sermon, I'm driving my kids, hey, so what did I talk about today? <laughs> Silence, right? Uh, well, let me prompt you. Right? <laughs> it's like, nothing, don't remember a thing, right? Okay, but I know you're not like that, right? I know you guys, you know, just hang on my every word, right? Okay, know your enemy. You know who he is. That he's extremely powerful. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. You know that he's a thief who wants to steal, kill, and destroy the life God has for you. You need to know that he is a roaring lion who wants to devour you. That he's an angry dragon who's declared war on you. You know his target. His target is your what? It's your heart. Because as Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart. Because everything flows from it. You need to know his goal. His goal is your death and destruction. Separation from God, both now and forever. Like, that's a huge deal. Like, there is no huger deal in the world than being separated God and where we spend forever. You need to know his method, his battle strategy. His battle strategy is temptation. His battle strategy is to, <clears throat> is to lure you into his light with deception. Tempting you to do evil things and not do the things that you should. You need to know your enemy. And I guarantee that he knows you. Right? I've said this before, right? He studies you. You think he knew David? You think he knew how to bring down King David? Absolutely. Let me get David to do a little thing wrong. Hey, David, just go to the rooftop. No big deal. You know, you, it's, the sun is setting, David. I'm sure, there's a woman bathing, but just you're, you're, you're not going there to see her. You want, you know, he knew how to get him. He knows how to get you. He studies you. He knows you. Get it? Get it? Get it? I wrote three times. That's why I had to say it. Say three. Okay. Now, if you're a sports fan, there's always a way I can work sports into something, right? You know that today is championship Sunday, right? And, and, and today is, is a final four, right? We, we have the Bengals against the Chiefs. We have the Niners against the Eagles, right? And, and who's pulling for the Bengals today? Woo! All right? Who's pulling for the Chiefs? Okay, good job. Who's playing? Who's pulling for the Niners? Woo! All right, Eagles. Woo! Oh, oh, oh! I've never forgiven them for Super Bowl Fifty Two. All right, just, just saying, just saying. I can guarantee that these four teams, all week long, have been doing what? Watching what? Watching film, right? Studying their opponent, right? What do they do best? And also watching their own film, right? But how do we screw up so bad? Where are our mistakes, right? By all means, they want to win the game. But listen, victory will not come rolling in on the tray. They have to fight for it. Because on the other sideline is an opponent who has a different agenda for victory. 
Know your enemy because he knows you. Know your responsibility. It's your responsibility to pursue authentic joy. Dallas Willard wrote, failure to attain a deeply satisfying life always has the effect of making sinful actions seem good. Miserable, depressed people sin more, right? Fill your life with joy. Starve temptation and do not feed it, right? Stop playing around and going near things that make you weak. Use the right resistance. Every sin, every temptation has a different resistance. Remind yourself of the final pain that will soon replace the what? Passing pleasure. Yeah, that donut tasted good, right? But it ain't going to help me get to where I want to go, all right? And and here's the truth. Sin always takes you further than you want to go and keeps you longer than you want to stay. That's true. Then it's your responsibility. Got a frog in my throat. I don't know why I jumped. Why is it a frog anyhow? I don't know. Ribbit. All right. It is your responsibility to put on the full armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, or in the struggle, it's not against flesh and blood, not against people, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. It's your responsibility to put on the full armor of God. To put on the belt of truth. And remember, the belt of truth is what? It's your personal integrity and honesty. Are you an honest person? Do you have integrity? Can people, do people trust what you say? Are you the same person in the light as you are in the dark? And listen, if you do not have personal integrity... You are giving your enemy, who's the father of lies, home field advantage. And you'll probably be defeated. It's your responsibility to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Remember I said this has a positional and practical, right? It protects your, the righteousness that we have, the positional is the righteousness that we have because we are baptized into Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we will become the righteousness of God. Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the positional aspect, right? And there's the practical aspect. And this is the righteous life we strive to live that gives us confidence in the righteousness we already have. And and here's a statement that, that I hope makes sense to you. The life you live either fortifies you against Satan's attacks or makes it easier for Satan to accuse, attack, and defeat you, right? Does that make sense? I hope it does. 
And then you make your feet ready by the gospel of peace. Paul says this about the gospel of peace. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1.16, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. See, the gospel's power, power of God, and the gospel's purpose, redirected in forevers of lost people, is what makes us ready for battle. Understand, when we are properly booted with the gospel, we're ready to go where he wants to send us. Okay, I know what I'm fighting for, and I know the power that's behind me. It's your responsibility to put on the shield of faith. Here's a statement about our shield of faith. Our shield of faith is what we believe, who we believe in, and what this belief means to our identity. Now understand, this shield will protect us against the lies of the enemy. The lies he tells you to get you to, to sin. Come on, take a bite. You deserve it. it. It'll make you feel better. Just this one time. Come on, it's not that big of a deal. Everybody's doing it. And the lies he tells you about who you are. You're not loved. You can never be forgiven. You're not cared for, significant, needed, or valued. Understand, when his flaming arrows rain down upon us, it's our shield of faith. What we believe, who we believe in, and what that means to our identity that protects us. Hey, you see, our shield of faith says, hey, I don't have to listen to you. I won't listen to you. I, I can't listen to you. I am a follower of Jesus. I know who I am. I, I know whose I am. And I know the life he's called me to live. Get behind me, evil one. Amen? Amen. And the helmet of salvation. And we know, we know from other scriptures, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8, that the helmet of salvation is our hope of salvation. And listen, as we live in this broken, fallen world where bad things happen to good people, where doctors bring back bad reports, where children stray from the Lord, where loved ones die, when we suffer, when we hurt, we have pain and sorrow and disappointment, we need to have this hope surrounding our mind, protecting us, reminding us. Have you ever lost hope? Have you ever felt, why bother? What's the point? Why try anymore? I quit. I'm done. I can't go on. But listen, our helmet of salvation protects that from us from that. Reminds us, hey, one day the trumpet will sound. One day the sky will crack open. One day Jesus will return to take us home. Amen? You know, that was a weak amen, but I'll take it. You know, this week as I, as I typed those words one day, a song popped into my mind that's out there today. You may have heard it by, by, by the Cochran and company. Listen to the words here, right? Because they're actually true. The song's called One Day. One day there'll be no more waiting left for our souls. One day... There'll be no more children longing for home. 
One day, when the kingdom comes right here where we stand, we will see the promised land. One day, there'll be no more lives taken too soon. One day, there'll be no more need for a hospital room. One day, every tear that falls will be wiped by his hand, and we will see the promised land. One day, there'll be no more anger left in our eyes. One day, the color of our skin won't cause a divide. Man, I can't wait. One day, we'll be family standing hand in hand, and we will see the promised land. One day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. One day, our tired and weary bodies find their rest. One day, when the power of evil is brought to an end, we will see the promised land. And we will see the promised land. Amen? One day. We've got to keep that helmet on, y'all. Okay? He doesn't want you to have hope, but we have a great hope, a living hope. It's your responsibility to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, the Roman soldier carried a 22-inch double-edged sword, and, and no soldier felt armed without it. For the Christian, the Word of God is his sword. Check out these scriptures about our sword. For the Word of God, 1 Timothy 4.12, is alive and active. You see, that's why I have confidence every Sunday morning. Not because I'm up here but because God's word, it's alive. It was alive 2,000 years ago. It was alive 3,000 years ago. God's word is alive and God's word is active. It's always moving. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. And Paul said this to Timothy in the last letter he ever wrote. All scripture is God-breathed. And is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Brothers and sisters, it's your responsibility to take up the sword. I can't take it up for you. Your wife, your spouse, your husband, they can't take it up for you. It's your responsibility to know it, to read it, to study it, and to live under it, and to live by it. It's your responsibility to know it, read it, study it, to live under it, and to live by it. Amen? Bottom line, you're not to ignore it, and you do not have permission to audit it or to edit it. And why would we? I mean... In this book, in the Bible, are the words that bring real life from the very author of life. So why would we ignore it? Why would we just audit it? Why would we edit it? I mean, it's words from the author of life about how to live the life God intended for us to live. And speaking of reading the Bible, this week we're going to start a new faith comes from hearing. And uh, I found this one on version. I'm going to send out a text. If, if, if you're not on our family email, you know, uh, fill out a connection card. We'll get you on it. But I'm going to send out a text, an email today and a text. And, and I'll ha- harass you for weeks to come. 
Um, it's the Gospel of John. In 69 days, right? There's 879 verses in the book of John. That means you have to read 12.7 verses a day, right? I think that's doable, right? And even if you're, even if you're doing another plan, you could do this. Because this will take us up. It's funny how it worked out this way. It just did. It'll take us up the Easter Sunday. And listen, the power that, would, that will happen in this church if every single one of us reads the gospel of John together every day leading up to Easter, look out and just wait to see what God can do. Amen? And so be prepared to be harassed. All right? It's coming. Um, it's your responsibility to, to pray. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. Always keep on praying for all the saints, even the ones you don't like. Pray also for me that where, wherever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I may fiercely make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am in chains. Pray that I may declare it fiercely as I should. See, the Christian soldier must be plugged into his power source, you know, Is communication important on the battlefield? <laughs> Think of it. Absolutely, right? Yeah. You, you got to have communication, right? Uh, back to headquarters, right? Uh, back to your leaders to know what's going on. Prayer is us communicating with God. To pray in the Spirit, I think, means to pray with sincerity, to pray in faith, to pray with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to pray in accordance with the purposes of God. Prayer is... I'm convinced is the most powerful and the most unused and untapped weapon in our arsenal. We do not pray often enough. We do not pray in faith enough, right? And sometimes God answers our prayers and we, we kind of say, well, God didn't do it. Something else happened. You know, a year ago in February, I had a heart attack in this room, you know, and, and the doctors thought I maybe needed a bypass, and, and, and people prayed, and when they checked in my arteries, they were cleaner than arteries of a 20-year-old, which makes no sense. You know, high cholesterol, don't eat right, didn't make sense at all. And, and, and people prayed. I saw some prayers. Make his arteries totally clean, right? But then when I shared that with some people, said, oh, I guess you didn't have a heart attack. What is that? We prayed. And God answered it. Oh, I guess that wasn't a cancer tumor, right? You didn't really have cancer. It must have been a shadow somewhere. Right? Yeah, we don't pray in faith. And, 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 and I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what doesn't make a praying church. Putting it on a banner. We depend on God, right? Do we? Do we? For Maple Grove to become the church he needs to be, Fundamentals. Remember I talked about this is a football? First things first. Right? We're doers, right? And sometimes we think praying isn't doing. And maybe you have concerns for your family, your job, your finances, your health, and maybe for your church. And, and let me fix it. Let me get a whiteboard. Let me plan and strategize. I'm not saying we don't do that, but first things first. Like we, we're not going to talk to God first. He's smarter, I don't know about you, but I think God's smarter than me. I think God sees things more clearly than me. I can't move mountains, but he can. I can't part seas, but he can. And, and, and so, 
prayer is essential. And, and starting next week, um, the, every first and third Sunday, uh, we're going to have a, a time of prayer beginning at 9.30 on Sunday morning. And, and, and I hesitate to do this because what if no one shows up? What if it fizzles out? And it has in the past. I used to do it in the past till it was just me. And then I quit. I shouldn't have quit, but I quit. Like, okay, no one's showing up. Is it just going to be me today? I guess it's just going to be me. But you know what? I don't care. <laughs> it's a new year, a new day. And we're going we're gonna to pray. And, and it, here's a name that, that uh, 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 when I was in Georgia, we had a prayer service every Thursday. I called it Z46. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to go back to Z46. Zechariah 4, verse 6. In that passage, Zerubbabel was commissioned by God to rebuild the temple, and he didn't have the finances, didn't have the manpower, didn't have the resources. Kind of bummed. People are ridiculing him, like, oh, is it really? That's all you got? Solomon's, that temple is pretty great. This is all you, and here's what God said. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. You're not going to do it on your own strength and powers, Zerubbabel, but I'm going to do it. And so this prayer time is about praying to God to move in our church, to move in our lives, to move in the world like never before, right? Again, I'm not, we're not smart enough, we're not strong enough, and before we put a pen to paper, let's put our knees to the carpet, amen? And you're invited to come. You don't have to come every week, but, but I, I, I'm making a commitment right here now that I will do this every stinking sec, first and third Sunday for this year, even if it's just me. Even if I'm there, but I'm not there, right? You know, you know I, I'm going to be there, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that God moves and does things and, and changes lives and heals hurts and brings broken people and changes this world one life at a time, okay? Put on the full armor of God. Like, it does no good to, like, have everything but don't have your helmet, right? Your enemy is going to whack you in the head, right? It does no good to go out there without a sword because you're not able to attack him. It does no good to not have your, your shield of faith because his flaming arrows are going to pierce you, right? It, it, it's not like, well, I like the belt of truth. I like the belt. You know, I, I don't look good in the helmet. It gives me helmet hair, right? No, you got to put the full armor of God so you can stand your ground. Amen. All right, you got to know your enemy, know your responsibility, and know your God. Know that he's greater than your enemy, right? He is too strong for you. He's nothing to God. I mean, it's not a fight. You can't even call it a fight, right? With God's help, you can overcome greater is the one in you than the ones in the world. You got to know that God controls the intensity of our temptations. As a Jesus follower, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That's a promise. You got to know that he always provides a way out so that you can escape. You got to know that that he's holy. He never tempts anyone. James says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil. You got to, we got to know that our God is holy that he's perfectly sinless. 
He is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Everything in God resists sin. He's aware of sin, but untouched by sin. Even right now, the angels are flying around God, crying out what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. To defeat temptation, we got to know that our God is holy, He hates sin. He calls us to be holy and to hate sin. We got to know that God is the source of every good thing. This is in James chapter 1, 6 through 18. Right after James says, hey, you know what? When you're dragged away into sin by your own desire and that sin gives birth to death, right after that, he says this. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. God is the source of every good thing. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. You see, unlike the enemy, God does, unlike the enemy, he promises his life and gives us death. God promises his life and give us more than we could ever hope for. We know that God is steady, sure, and unchanging. He's not changed like shifting shadows. Brothers and sisters, our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His hatred and wrath towards sin is unchanging. His word, his truth, despite the winds of our culture, is unchanging. His holiness is unchanging. His promise and power are unchanging. His mercy, his love, his grace, his forgiveness, his plans, his purposes, his ways are unchanging. His goodness and kindness are unchanging. Uh, what I'm trying to say is that, is that our God, that our Father, who art in the heavens, is who he is. And who he always will be. The great I am. And he said what he said, and he'll do what he promised. We need to know our God to get the victory. He's greater than your enemy, controls the intensity of your temptation, provides a way out, is holy, steady, unchanging. We're about done. And that his goal for us is new birth and salvation. He chose to give us new birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. See, unlike our enemy, his goal is death. God's goal for you is new birth into eternal life, abundant life, to the life you're created to live, to the life you always wanted to live, to the life you've always dreamed of living. Again, to get the victory over temptation, you must know your enemy, know your responsibility, know your God. And that outline is your battle plan. Brothers and sisters, when you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. And when you're about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army and say, Here, Israel, today you're going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified by them. 
For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. Amen and amen and amen. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be your name. Would you stand and say that with me? We'll do it on three. No, after I say three. One, two, three. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What a prayer. And next week, we're going to practice praying this prayer in a conversation that I'm calling, When the Church Prays. And by the way, Z46, next Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Pray with me. Uh, Father God, we humbly come before you. And God, I got to admit, sometimes the enemy, the things that come against me, the mountains in front of me, the walls before me, the giants taunting me in the valley just seem so, so much bigger than me. And God, how good it is to know that you go with me, that you fight for me against my enemies to give me the victory. Father, I pray for everyone in this room because everyone is in a battle. And we all have an enemy, but we all have a Father who art in the heavens, who is greater and stronger. God, help us to lean on you, to trust in you. God, thank you for your mercy and forgiveness that is so unchanging. In Jesus' name, amen.